Hello and welcome to the Armenian News Network Grung. I'm Hovik Manucharyan. In this episode, we will feature a discussion with Geb Iskajan, a representative of ANC in Artsakh. And uh, this is an excerpt from our bigger podcast, uh, Weekend Review, episode 177. The topic of this discussion is a November 10th ceasefire, two years later, uh, with the perspective of someone from Artsakh. It is a short recording, but we hope you enjoy it. Uh, thanks for listening, and this episode was recorded on November 14, 2022. Hi, Gev. Welcome. Good Hi, to Gev. be on. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Gev, we're recording this discussion on November 14, 2022. Uh, I'm in Yerevan. Aspet is in Glendale, and you're in Stepanakir. But we really like to learn how it feels to be in Artsakh uh, at this time, two years after the November 2020 trilateral statement. Uh, you know, how are Artsakh citizens processing what has transpired over the last two years? So I would say that, look, the first two uh, years were obviously, as everybody knows, tough, especially f- following post-war. Uh, we're dealing with one displacement on a mass scale, uh, tens of thousands of people. You're dealing with the trauma of war that many families are facing, whether it's a lost loved one, a brother, uh, you know, a father. And so many like families have been impacted to that. Um, and that bleeds on to the personal level, but also larger societal level. Uh, if you walk around Stepanaget or any part of Artsakh today, it's very hard to come across a family uh, that hasn't been personally impacted by loss and, and by war. That being said, um, I've been here for a year so far, um, and th- th- I would say especially the last few months uh, have genuinely given me hope. Uh, today, when I walk around Stepanagert, when I walk around Artsakh, um, I see a couple of things that I think are really important to note uh, for the diaspora and for the larger Armenian nation. Uh, the first and foremost is that Artsakh is not this place that's withering away. Um, so we had, post-war, we had about... 30 to 40,000 people that were displaced, uh, folks that had moved to Yerevan, moved outside of Artsakh. I meant to ask you about that. Are those yeah. mostly from Hadrut and uh, other occupied areas that are currently sort of in, uh, still occupied? Yeah, so the big bulk of it, uh, statistically speaking, are from Hadrut and Shushi, but there are also some on Amrit's Kyuret that were evacuated. So you've got those communities, whether it's communities near Marduni, Mardagir that may have been evacuated or places that were recently evacuated like Agavno. Uh So, you know, it, it's a mixed bag. But yes, the, the large ma- majority were from, you know, Hadrut and Shushi. Today, however, as I mentioned earlier, there, there was about 30 to 40,000 people displaced. Uh, and many of those folks were out of the country. Today, only about 10,000 are outside of Artsakh. Many of them have moved back, which is a positive note for us. That is great to hear. To Yes, and we want that number to be lowered. But with that comes a lot of work that needs to be done. So uh, when we're talking about housing and infrastructure, that that capacity needs to be built here. Um, so Sepanage is quite impacted, like uh, to find a house uh, to, you know, get a place with all these people coming in has been quite difficult. And today you can see around us that there are lots of construction projects. We see apartment buildings going up at at a very high rate, and that is to satisfy uh, the needs of those communities. I would also say in the last like two, three months, uh, I've seen a noticeable uptick just walking around in the streets. 
uh, like we have traffic now, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, in most places, traffic is a bad thing. Here, uh, I, I see it as a positive development because we've got people in the country, you know. Um, so I think that, look, the last two years have been very tough. But uh, the last few months uh, of the whole time that I've been here has given me real solid hope. Uh, Gev, how has Artsakh's economy evolved since the end of the war? How are people earning their income? So uh, post-war, the economy, I, I have to be very frank with you guys, was absolutely devastated. Uh, we're talking about uh, whether it's like one of the large exports that we have, which was grain. Um, we lost a lot of that land that was producing that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we, we have to reconfigure what this economy produces. Um, and that some of that takes time. Some of that takes new investment. Uh, there are lots of investors previously that had put money into many projects. For example, we had an electrical grid here, right? We had uh, over nine uh, electrical grids here. We lost so many of them today. Only three are under our control. Right. And we used to pr produce so much electricity here that we would export that out there as well. So all of those major uh, exports, whether it was grain or electricity, are, are kind of gone. Uh, and we have to redevelop uh, what we need to do here in terms of gross domestic product. That being said, um, uh, this year, uh, compared to the year over last year, we've seen, and I spoke, uh, I've confirmed this number with the, the folks in, in the government here, we've seen a 12% growth in the economy, which is great. Uh, I mean, we want much higher if it's compared to yeah. the loss that we've sustained. Um, but one, we don't have stagnation. Uh, we don't have a, a lowering, but we're seeing a net increase, which, uh, again, it's something that can be built on. And, you know, uh, I can't give an answer of, you know, where that economic output is going to be redirected now because we're in the process of figuring it out. Uh, there, There's lots of things that we want to try. Uh, some of that has to do with like agricultural goods that are being produced. Some of that has to do with uh, domestic products, handcraft and, and such that's being produced here. But again, unfortunately, we don't have those mass exports uh, or those higher quantity exports yet. So two weeks ago, I was uh, in Renaissance Square. The square was full and I believe over the third of the population of Artsakh uh, was there. And they were there, again, to tell the world that they're not going to be subjects of geopolitical barters, that their rights of self-determination and to be part of the Armenian nation, to live on their historic land, are inalienable. In your opinion, who do you believe was the political addressee of that statement uh, in Stepanakert? Who do you think they were talking to? So... I think it's important to see this. A lot of folks saw it as a protest, and in many regards it was. Uh, but there's another angle to this too. I think it was a reaffirmation of statehood. Uh, it's to show that Artsakh has a strong Armenian populace because the narratives that are coming out from Azerbaijan or other parts of the world is that it's a dwindling population, that they can't self-sustain, that they need, you know, this narrative that they need to be in Azerbaijan's cause or mm -hmm. within their, you know, boundaries to survive. Uh, that's not true. Uh, we, and, and you, and you see that uh, expressed through the will of the people. You, you see them come out in large numbers to say, look, we're here. Uh, and in fact, you know, our population numbers uh, are growing too. And, you know, one thing that's also really important to note in the last two years, a lot of the news that has come out about Artsakh 
has been different geopolitical players speaking for Artsakh, uh, whether sometimes it's the Armenian government, whether it's folks in the West and the EU saying what Artsakh should do, whether it's folks in you know Moscow saying what uh, what Artsakh should do. Uh, I think the last week was a reaffirmation of uh, what Artsakhs want. And that's a narrative that we don't focus on enough. Um, and I think that was the strongest statement of all, all of this. And lastly, I think they're saying that, look, a lot of these like negotiations that are going on, these separate meetings that are going on, that are being held on behalf of you know larger powers, uh, we need to refocus that uh, the driver of you know those uh, conversations has to be the people of Artsakh. Uh, it has to be rooted and born here. Uh, because uh, these are the folks whose future is going to be impacted. These are the folks who are going to live under whatever decisions come about. Um, and I think more than anything, it was them coming out to the streets and saying, we are going to be a participant in our future and our destiny is not going to be dictated by external factors. And uh, sometimes we are guilty of uh, not covering this narrative ourselves because we always focus on the geopolitical games around Artsakh. So yeah, I, I appreciate you coming yeah. on to uh, set the record straight. Um, give uh, the entire Artsakh conflict began with the protests in the late eighties. Uh, it seems like you know the entire population of Armenia at that time was out on the streets. It was still the Soviet Union, and I remember it uh, as a as a child, like or as a as a almost teen. You know, I you know I, I remember participating in the protests, and I also remember visiting as a family our neighbors' homes. Uh, to read mm. the latest news about what's coming from uh, Stepanakert or the world about Artsakh, um, often self-published and handed down from one person to another. And we basically read secretly. So, uh, you know, I was thinking about that as uh, I attended the protest in Yerevan. Uh, the turnout of the Yerevan version of the protests was pretty low in comparison. I mean, we all have to admit that. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I don't mean to compare the situation in 1988 with what ha what's happening now. There are a lot of things that are not the same. Uh, but, but, you know, also the organizers of the protest sort of did try to make that link. And if they did, then I don't know if that was successful. But what do you think needs to be done more in order for this message that you just talked about to be uh, sent louder and clearer to the rest of the world and to Armenia proper itself, and also uh, to instill some confidence in Artsakhsis that the Armenian nation is behind them and that they're mm -hmm. not going to abandon them. So I think that lots of times we get, you know, uh, caught up in the numbers, um, and and you know that's important too. That you want to have popular support, you want to have a solidarity amongst the Armenian nation with the people of Artsakh, but. One thing I've learned in you know the last year that I've been here is that uh, look uh, maybe uh, the masses in the streets of Yerevan aren't going to come out for Artsakh, unfortunately, right? Um, but there are uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people from Armenia that are committed that see Artsakh as the frontier of the Armenian nation. As you, you only need to look at the surveys where say ninety percent of the people say yeah. that you know Artsakh. Uh, uh, self-determination is important and they don't see Artsakh as part of Azerbaijan. Yeah, but I would just sort of, you know, maybe maybe it's a challenging question to ask. I, I mean, it, it's it's worthwhile. It, it's worthwhile uh, to ask. Um, and look, it's good to hear that, you know, the vast majority of Armenians see uh, 
Artsakh as ideally a part of the Armenian nation, as they should. Um, but I also think that uh, regardless of what those numbers are, regardless of how many people show up to those protests, the people that are genuinely and truly dedicated to this land uh, have to commit themselves. Uh, the Armenian government, I'll be very frank about that, uh, on, on many levels, uh, uh, to a certain degree, has abandoned this place. If we're talking about in terms of security, if we're talking about in, in terms of the deployment of the army, uh, in terms of a lot of other factors, uh, and even in the negotiation process, we've seen that there has been uh, negligence, to say the least, and abandonment to, you know, uh, kind of more clearly clarify. But that doesn't, we do have to separate the intentions and the actions of the Armenian government with that of the Armenian nation, with, with the people right. of Armenia, with the people of the diaspora. And that's where my hope is, uh, that the folks that see a future in Artsakh, uh, I, I would hope that they would be committing themselves to this nation. It's it's an it's an existential issue, right? You know how, what what is the Armenian nation worth if it cannot safeguard the security of Artsakh? I'll put it out there. I mean, I think everyone needs to think about it. Yes, we can ensure our physical survival individually as individuals, but there needs to be something more higher values that we need to reach reach out for. Yes, and and I think we we have, we have to ask where does the bleeding stop, right? Uh, for those uh, pacifists that think that if only we give Artsakh, uh, the Armenian nation will see peace and calm and all that stuff. I'm not a believer in that narrative. Um, and I think we've seen that transpire into action over the last year or so, because lots of people in Artsakh were saying that, look, you guys are so willingly and nonchalantly, you know, uh, letting go of claims to Artsakh, they're going to come for Sunik next. And what have we spent the last year covering? What, what, what has the last aggression and incursions into Armenia been? Through, into Sunik, and I think one last point I would say, where they've launched those attacks has been through uh, a lot of the areas that they've occupied post-Artsakh war. So it was never just about Artsakh. It was always about taking as much as they can. And Artsakh has to be a stand. Artsakh has to be a statement uh, for the Armenian nation. So give... Given all this, uh, you moved to Artsakh about a year ago, like you said, from Los Angeles, my neck of the woods. Tell us a yes. little bit about what motivated you to do that. And also, I want to hear if you would call on diaspora youth to actually follow your example and move to Artsakh and participate in life over there. So I, I was deeply impacted by uh, the war in 2020 um, and looking at you know my homeland, um, I always thought that there's going to be a time uh, where I look back on this time frame in our history and, and ask myself what I did. Um, and being away from what we love, from our nation, from what we advocate for in the diaspora. Uh, you know, I grew up in the ANCA family of organizations. Uh, my background is in like, you know, political science, international relations. And I wanted to know which ways uh, adequate to my skill sets uh, and my knowledge base can I help out my nation? Um, and, you know, the ANC office that we opened up here in Artsakh was a natural transition for me where I thought that I can bring my skill sets. And actually one of the things that we, that I'm very passionate about and what we work on here in our ANC Artsakh office is we bring young professionals uh, through internship programs over the summer and throughout the year, uh, young professionals that have just recently graduated college that bring their skill sets. They work with certain ministries in the government. In turn, they learn about governance here how many how of the them did you have this past summer this past summer we had five actually which was great um right. and we had uh, we had folks from different parts of the world we had 
folks from the East Coast, West Coast. We had interns from Canada, interns from Moscow, interns from uh, France. Uh, right. So it was a yes, it was a good combination of you know our young diaspora and youth and. Uh, leaving, they were sad, which made me happy in, in a sense because uh, they've built this, you know, beyond all that, you know, professional stuff where they come and they they help out, they bring their skill sets. Uh, we become a bridge between the homeland and the diaspora, and I think those things uh, last a lifetime. I think these these young folks that have come spend time here in the summer, Artsakh is always going to be a part of their life, whether they you know visit all the time or whether they decide to come and move here. And I don't know if. Uh, you know, the uh, it's really easy for me to sit here and say, you know, everyone come to Artsakh and move here and blah, blah, blah. Everyone's situations are different. However, everybody has a certain skill set. Everybody has something they're really good at. Everybody has something that they can contribute. And I would say find what it is uh, that you can bring to this nation, whether it's temporarily, whether it's permanently, but dedicate yourself to it. There's a lots of things that folks can even do from the diaspora for Artsakh, right? Uh, just like you guys are doing, I think, you know, uh, shedding light on these narratives, giving voice to, you know, folks like us here on the ground, uh, that is a net benefit. And the more people that we have doing that, uh, and then the more people we have doing various things, we build critical mass around this movement, around the recognition of Artsakh, around the long-term viability of the future of this nation. Wow, those are some powerful words, Kiev. Thank you very much for uh, being our guest, and we hope this is not your last time. Uh, so come back frequently. This is the first time, uh, hopefully first of many. I, I really enjoyed being on, guys, and I can tell you that, you know, from here listening to you, you guys, uh, what you do and the work that you guys carry out is pivotal because these narratives aren't spoken about very often. Um, and, and the light that you guys shed on these issues is very important. Um, so thank you guys for having me on. I wish you guys the best of luck. Thank you. Thanks, Kev. Talk thank to you, you soon. Take care, guys. That concludes this Conversations on Grung episode, and we hope you found it useful. As always, we invite your feedback. You can find us on most social media and podcast platforms or our website, grung.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel on YouTube, like our pages, and follow us on social media. On behalf of everyone in this episode, we wish you a good week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.